Welcome to Wacker Slaps, where we look back into the annals of 2000s indie music to determine if an album, band, or entire musical movement was actually good or just the product of the hype machine of that time. And like all great podcasts, this is the direct spinoff of an unhinged group text that simply refuses to die. And now let's hear from my homies, Big Spoon and Little Spoon. Yas, yas, yas. It's your boy, Noah. And I'm Adrian, your friendly producer. And can I sleep on your couch tonight? Maybe bum a smoke. Whoa, very O3 of you, bro. <laughs> and I am your host, Caleb O. Oh, shit. No. We should have done that. <laughs> Noah, we all could have done it. Caleb yeah, fuck. O. Without oh, revealing our, without Ad- doxing ourselves, we all Adrian have Adrian O. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. We'll punch this in later. <laughs> and I'm planned. your host, Caleb O, joined by. Adrian O and Noah. Episode 28. Uh, real quick, let's do Bob Dylan's 28th studio album. I actually had a different one. Okay. If you guys can one. tell me what the name of this band is, um, you'll win a small prize from my, my prize bag. <laughs> what is this it? This is our Stellar Variations album. Stellar Variations? So actually, yeah. Stellar That's- Variations. Okay, the name of the album is called Stellar Variation. And it is the 28th in this band's catalog. Mm. The mm-hmm. weather report? Very apropos on this gloomy October day, but you know. <laughs> I see my thought was something jazzy too, but maybe I want to say it's like it has the same energy as like jazz or fusion, but just kind of deployed in a different kind of genre see, angle. Th- Okay, so the, my second guess was something like the uh, Grateful Dead, but I could be wrong on that one. Mm-hmm. Genesis or like Rush, something You're like that. You're getting close with both. Oh, of those. okay. Here we go. Yes, uh, with less astute playing, but like <laughs> overall same like Emerson, energy. Lake, and Palmer. Yes. Oh God, it's uh, yes ish. It's not yes though. It's not yes. Huh. No, uh, just no. Yeah, just, yeah, this is bullshit. It, see, it's not prog rock. So, what it was like? What is one of the pieces of DNA of prog rock? Rock, but more specifically, like late sixties, early seventies, psychedelic rock. Yeah. Uh, so this is like stellar. Okay, a, that's all coming together. A band within that million. Mothers of Invention. No, now you're going back to jazzy bullshit. <laughs> just give it to us. God <laughs> yeah, damn. Motherfucking Hawkwind. Uh, oh, recording oh, under the name Hawkwind Light Orchestra, which is 28 weird. But albums? Is their 20th, they have, yeah, dude, they're prolific as fuck. They just came out with an album called The Coronavirus or something. It's supposed to be like carnivore mixed with Corona. It's really weird. <laughs> cool. But, All anyways, right. um, <laughs> episode 28. Episode Caleb. 28. There you go. Our, our stellar episode. We're very, very excited to be here. And um, we do need to report that we had a very exciting milestone that we hit. Um, oh, yeah. As a result of our last episode. And that is musician engagement. Yeah. Um, yeah Noah, tell us what happened. You're, you're our social media manager. So on Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter, the bug from our last episode, the uh, what's the name? Kevin, Kevin Martin. Martin. 
he hit us up Shout on out. Twitter. He shouted us out on Twitter, gave us a thanks for the perfect rating and the slap award, as he said. Yep. Which we might have to to rename that. He threw in some lightning and speaker emojis and uh, Flo Dan retreat. We tweeted us, too. So uh, you guys ain't cooler than Flo Dan. So uh, get on that Twitter sphere and retweet your boys. That's slap. That is huge, because I think of all the people that we've reviewed this, the bug probably is the least amount of ego who would like have like whatever their search results. I don't know how that shit works on Twitter. Like would have a mentions notification, like set up for anything. And then the fact that he did and then listened to it the whole way through to know that we gave him a 10 out of 10 and the slap award. Yeah. And then no, to like, to know that we, that we came in perfect and then, like, <laughs> and then gave a reference towards something on the album. Yeah, in his uh, like own ten. subtweet, I mean that was, that was that was a big making moves. Yeah. Making moves Shout out! We're still waiting to hear back from uh, Vampire Weekend. Yes. Yeah. You too yes. big for your for us, Ezra. Yeah. Too big for Call your you uh, out. for your. I wonder cool how many you guys wear fellow podcasters. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder how many bands have listened to our podcast and then we shit on the band. So they're wait. Like, is oh, he a podcaster? This. Oh yeah, dude. He has a podcast. Of course Wait, he has so a does podcast. that mean that Rashida Jones has been married to two podcasters? <laughs> oh boy. Because isn't the other Jean Favreau a podcaster? Her former boo, speechwriter for Obama? Or is that the other guy? Who cares? All yeah. right, let's go. Moving on. <laughs> trying to tie it all together. Caleb, I thought you had a hard out. You're stalling. <laughs> I have a hard on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. Caleb, ask me what we're doing here today on episode 28. Moving along, uh, Noah, this is the time in the episode where you ask me what we're doing. <laughs> we are doing from the year 2003, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Fever to Tell, their debut album. Adrian, what did the folks over at pitchfork.com have to say about the 2003 album Fever to Tell by Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's? Yeah. Uh, so this one's interesting because I think in hindsight, I think most people probably figured that Pitchfork gave them a really good review, but actually it was kind of, I mean, frankly, it was kind of a shitty classic Pitchfork review and it's, it was a little misogynistic and a little bit just, just, you know, snarky for no reason. But, uh, anyways, they, they gave it a 7.4, which is not necessarily a bad score, but, um, you know, not not like the heights of, of a lot of the other albums that we've uh, done. It did not get a best new music. I think this was probably right, right around when best new music started, but it did not achieve that. It was reviewed by Eric Carr, who he was pretty big there for the first like five years or so, or like eight years or something of pitchfork, at least just digging through some of his other reviews. He was there for, for about that, uh, that kind of first key chunk there. But as I said, like this, this review was really just the like when people are like roll their eyes at pitchfork reviews, this is kind of like one of the ones that, you know, you could you could really look at and say like, this is fucking just a 20, 20 year old, you know, college kid being a dick because, you know, of the hype machine, whatever of, of the surrounding buzz around this band. So I, I just pulled the intro paragraph he breaks down a lot of stuff that's going on on the record. And again, he kind of is like half insulting the band as he's kind of praising them as well. It's just, it's kind of, it's just an annoying uh, uh, review, but here's a little excerpt I pulled. 
Can a band build an entire career, a legacy even, on a handful of EPs and a boundless torrent of press? How many party dresses need to take a beer bath before the yeah, yeah, yeahs drop the rock icon pastiche and just play some music? Over and over again, they've been accused of empty posturing, wallowing in scrofulous, self-conscious irony, quote unquote, disguising themselves predator style as the public conception of who they were supposed to be rather than who they actually are. And yet, dramatic pause. Until the stylists and spin mongers start writing the music, why does this still have to matter? The band plays the blistering, baseless hand they've dealt, uh, they're dealt, plus or minus the cards up their designer sleeves, and makes the right moves. More power to them. Hype, famously, is a bitch. They're shrew, and in the end, it's still theirs to try and tame. No one wants to be the ill-fated morning after tat on the ass end of the garage rock revival, after all. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. And typically so, people who say tat don't have any tattoos. Yeah. And they're also kind of, is that like a bit of a slut shaming thing there with like the next morning? The kinda. front yeah, the, kind the of woman, the front woman is the tramp stamp of retro of rock and roll. Yeah. Huh. I mean, and it goes on and on kind of like that, where it's just like overwritten and just yeah. and full of like little bullshit, like dramatic pause or, you know. This in 2003, I think this was a prime time for Pitchfork. If there was a band that got like a four star review in Rolling Stone or was like mm -hmm. spin, spin bat band of the year, they were like, okay, we'll ride with the strokes, but no, yeah, 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 let's take them down. Let's take them down. Yeah, I think like before now they have like the scoop on when stuff's coming out. Before, like they would kind of let other media outlets kind of like lead them. You know, and then see what everyone else was saying about them before they commented. I don't know. I think it was a little bit of bit, both, yeah. to be, frankly. But yeah, I, I think I think a lot of the times they were kind of, you know, they 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 zagged when everyone else was zigging or whatever. It's like it was kind of just like a, re a reaction to. to yeah. I mean, this is an interesting one because. Um, I guess we can kind of get into like what their deal was and yeah, surrounding definitely. them. Yeah, but like, I wanted to say because Noah had mentioned it with like the strokes, and this is kind of our first ish in an unofficial like micro podcast series is like heavy hitter indie, you know, that kind of broke the hype machine and definitely yeah. ushered the in bands, kind of this new era, you know, bands kind of, that blew up. Yeah, mm -hmm. but like we were saying, we were even before all this, we're like, oh, we need to do a heavy hitter, so that you know, there's a few bands in that list you know your strokes your interpols your yeah 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 so i think you know we did a later one with the vampire weekend but yeah this is kind of one of those one of those major ones i would say yeah yeah so what, what is their deal adrian <laughs> well i mean as the as the review mentions they were these guys were like kind of you know they are part of the the new york scene the, the garage rock revival scene you know, they were hanging around with all those same bands that were mentioning, you know, the Strokes and, and Interpol and, and whatnot. They were all going to the same bars. You know, they're all chummy. But the, I think this is interesting because by 2003, I think that was already like the garage rock thing was kind of starting to get played out and it's almost like ready for the backlash. So I think that's why like this this you know because this landed a little bit later than their peers like you know the strokes record landed in 2001 you know whatever else was happening then the white stripes you know that 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 record that blew up was 2001 you know the hives and all the other you know whatever all the other garage rock bands the were around Suzuki. that time 
the Mooney Suzuki, you know, whatever was going on. And then the bands like the Vines and stuff. So that Return of Rock stuff was all kind of 2001, 2002. I think by 2003, when these guys were dropping this, people were starting to move on. I think people were starting to be like, okay, we're, this is enough. Like the, we get it now, you know, that second strokes album, you know, didn't get as much acclaim as the first one, even though it's, it's really good. You know, it, I think people were just reacting to like the hype and how a lot of these bands just rode their buzz to the very top, you know, the strokes landed on the cover of rolling stone or whatever or spin before they even had a, you know, a, a record deal or something, stuff like that kind of, I think irked people, you know, I mean, that might not be exactly accurate, but you know what I mean? Like the stuff like that irked people. And I think a band like the yeah, yeah, yeah's also had that same thing. And then it was doubly heightened because they did have this front woman who was, you know, very much playing the rock star role. You know, I think she was living it too because she did have, issues with alcohol and, and stuff and they were all dealing with that but at the same time like why is she getting more shit than julian casablancas even though they yeah. have the same kind of persona you yeah, know totally. just because she's falling over on the stage and stuff so like he does like and know, he's like kind of like star. too cool for school you know yeah like exactly that blank affectation and she's so, a little bit more fierce and in your face you know and i think yeah i think people you know it's just old-fashioned sexism they just kind of respond to that shit like negatively they're like you know don't rub it in my face you know you get to be mm -hmm. feminine or whatever on my terms you know you can't like reclaim it anyway or even like you get you, to be knock you down a peg if you like you know right or even like you, you can only be a rock star how we want you to be a rock star like you can only fit the box we want to put you in like the julian casablancas or whatever like the like why is that cool like the disaffected thing cool but because she's you know dancing on stage and and showing emotion and, and getting into it like why is that then look at like oh she's you know it's all drama it's all fake it's all you know posturing it's like it's all of course it's all posturing yeah. like, that's the whole point of all of this stuff you know is is to to live up to your idols and you know do the rock star thing and i think that you know, around this time, I think that had already that had become kind of the mainstream music culture at this point. You know, and I think that's kind of why this got such a soft landing at Pitchfork. And I think that's why they, you know, was so snarky, even though yeah. other places, you know, the your Rolling Stones, your spins, you know, they, they were still like, writing for the IIS. Yeah, it was almost like they had no room for them. It's like we already got the retro rock strokes and we already got the baseless rockers white stripes right. yeah yeah rolling stone was saying yeah 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 and then pitchfork was saying yeah 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 they're saying now 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 yeah they were you know they were kind of hard to place like sound wise because they had like kind of a repulsive very rhythmic like um like i don't know kind of like post-punk maybe like, like art means a little bit more towards yeah. noise rock in a way in a lot of in a lot of kind of you know how they construct songs and kind of focuses on you know, like frenzied rhythms and things like that. Yeah. And it wasn't as straightforward as like an austere as the white stripes, but I don't know. It was it's less prep school, more art school. Yeah. Yeah. More angular, a little more post-punk, but definitely rooted in all that retro rock. Like you listen to this yeah. album it is way more rock and roll than punk rock. I would say, I mean, they're both kind of two sides of the same coin, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because that's kind of what it reminds me of, like, noise rock, because, like, noise rock was always kind of bluesy, you know, and this this has a lot of, like, those kind of pentatonic yeah, rhythms stomp, and the kind stompers. of stompy, stop-start kind of yeah, shit. Yeah, stompers. Yeah. But, you know, before we get too ahead of ourselves with the 
summarizing the sound of the album. Does it stomp or is it pomp? Ooh. <laughs> we decide. Who says it can't be both? That's true. Mm-hmm. Pomp and stomp. Stomp and circumstance. Is it bussin or is it disgusting? <laughs> That's my favorite Michael Bay movie. Pomp and stomp. Oh, pomp and stomp. Yeah, that's good. That was a good one. Okay. Yeah. Well, do we? Yeah, let's talk about this uh, album. What's the, what's the history of this uh, bad girl? Of 2003's Fever to Tell by Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Oh, nice little radio. On the reset. Punch guy. in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So to get a little bit into the background of the album, uh, it was recorded throughout 2002 between tours of the US, the UK, and Europe at Headgear Studio in Brooklyn, New York. It was a produced- great name of a studio. Sorry, just had to add he- that. Oh, Headgear, yeah. When you hear it- a good name of a studio, venue, or record label, those three things I always like to call it out and always like to you know give respect where respect is due. Yeah, it shows that they actually thought about it for a second and get, you know, like, oh, this is, this is cool. Right. Um, so it was produced by Dave Siddick. Sitek, Sitek. I, I don't know if I ever said that correctly, but uh, of TV on the radio fame. And it was mixed by Nick Zinner, the, a member of the band, uh, the guitarist, and Alan Mulder, who famously uh, per, <clears throat> uh, mixed My Bloody Valentine's Loveless record, did a bunch of Nine Inch Nails records, and, and uh, you know, was pretty prolific on a lot of 90s and, and, uh, and well, th- throughout you know, the past 20, 30 years. Uh, He's been a big producer. Um, it was released by Interscope Records on April 29th, 2003. Interscope being a major, major label, especially at this time. Uh, I think they had some of the biggest artists around. Uh, you know, I think this was when, what, the Eminem and some other era, if I'm not mistaken, was on uh, Interscope. Or yeah, Eminem, was, this is one? the Dre Day was dominating. Uh, Dre was all over Interscope. I think uh, uh, anyone knows about Trail of Dead. Oh, wasn't yeah. um, Interscope? Did it all for the might have been on Interscope. Interscope wasn't. Did it all for the Nookie on Interscope? <laughs> Limp Biscuit, yeah, Limp Biscuit. I they were. Uh, I just call them. Did it all for the Nookie. I don't remember <laughs> their name. The um, director of the Fanatic band. <laughs> it's a good movie. Starring Devin Sawa, we just learned. Oh, shout out well, Heartthrobs. <laughs> good for him. Still yeah. got work. Uh, <laughs> This, this is the band's debut uh, studio album, but a little bit about the band. They came together after Carano met Brian Chase, the drummer at Oberlin College, uh, and then she transferred to NYU later, and that's where she met Nick Zinner. And Zinner and Carano formed a folk band called Unitard uh, while they were um, at NYU, mm. uh, and their original drummer dropped out, and uh, Chase came on board. And that's how kind of the core came together. And I think that's, that's you know, there's, they were obviously they remain the core, uh, remain the core throughout the rest of the band's career. And they have added a couple of other members, but for this record, it was the, these three good old fashioned power trio. Yeah. Emphasis on the power, uh, with these guys, but they eventually renamed themselves to the yeah, yeah, yeahs. I remember I read the, that book, uh, meet me in the bathroom the Lizzie Goodman book about it's kind of about the whole New York scene around this time in the two thousands. It's a great book. Uh, it's an oral history and um, a lot of really funny, great, interesting stories. But uh, in that book, uh, they talk about how 
they came together and like their first practice, the chemistry was already there. They ended up writing a bunch of songs and they eventually landed a opening spot for the white stripes and the strokes. Uh, and that's kind of where oh, things bad. really started to take off. Yeah, exactly. The Holy Trinity. Yeah, the Holy rock. Trinity. <laughs> I would say, um, yeah, yeah, are the Holy Spirit. Uh, the the stripes are the, the father of the father and the strokes are the son, right? Yeah, maybe flipped. I don't know. Hard to say. At this Aren't time, they all one and the same, and you know. Well, yeah, yeah as in the Holy Trinity. Yeah, mm. but <laughs> the, the as good Catholic boys, we should know this. Um, yeah, totally. But, My mom um, will fact check this. <laughs> oh, Margaret, let us know. Um. But they, so yeah, so they got the spot opening for this band and that's where they, the buzz really started to take off. They started to become known for their live shows where, yeah, Karen O would go off, you know, she would be dancing and, and spilling beer on herself, spitting beer on the, on her, you know, into the crowd and just the classic rock and roll stuff, you know, Iggy, Iggy style kind of just going for it, you know, all out, just, just getting into it. Um, and so that, that helped them build a buzz. And then uh, eventually they, they, Put together they their their debut a excuse me their debut ep and that gave got them even more critical acclaim and buzz um and so like the 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 ball was rolling at this point and so a bunch of new, uh, major labels contacted them before the this debut record and they decided no we kind of want to have ownership over this so what they did was they they put all their money together um i think at this point they were all living together um, and they basically financed this whole record. They went with headgear because it was like a cheap studio in their neighborhood that they could just work out of, you know, they connected with Dave Siddick because he was a, a buddy of theirs. He had originally met Nick Zinner. I think they worked at the same clothing store in New York and Brooklyn. And then, um, the, he eventually started driving for them on their first tour and helped manage their first tour. Uh, so he was really a key part of that, that kind of early history of theirs and really helped support them. And, you know, eventually in 2002, they were like, can you record our record? Like we, we have a good relationship. We think you can do it. And, you know, we don't really know anyone else. So can you do it? And he agreed. Um, I have a little bit, a little quote here from Karen O talking about this, uh, how this came together, but she says, I remember him giving me a few burn CDs of stuff that he had worked on. I guess he was just a buddy and we felt immediately like we were family with him and we didn't know anyone else. That was probably one of the biggest reasons we worked with him because we didn't know anyone else. Then of course he ended up being really fucking masterful. And if you listen to like those early TV on the radio records and, and some of the other things he was producing at the time, it, it is masterful, especially considering like he probably didn't have the, you know, the big budgets that he would, they would eventually get to, considering how clean and you know still how how good these records sound is is a testament to his talent but once it was finished it was mastered by zinner and Mulder, as i mentioned in london and then once it was released it received critical acclaim pretty much right out of the gate um it debuted at number 67 on the billboard 200 which is a pretty good outing i would say for you know a relatively small indie band at this point still and then as, as of 2013, the album sold 640,000 copies. I'm sure that that's, you know, exponentially or at least uh, 
has increased in the you know interim whatever nine years whatever oh well, actually adrian i'm reading a bunch of those albums have gotten returned in the last <laughs> handful of years so it actually oh like the cutouts so it's gone down yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. oh boy that's terrible news um but it landed so they got downgraded from platinum to gold or whatever gold. yeah so one of the few instances in history <laughs> Well, isn't that the story of like how Nevermind blew up is because people were returning the Michael Jackson record to get Nevermind or something like really? that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the to finish off here, the uh, Fever to Tell landed on numerous lists, you know, numerous best of 2003 lists, numerous best of 2000s list. It came at 24 <clears throat> on Pitchfork's best of 2000s list. Um, so, you know, it, it is it did become kind of a defining record of its era. In a lot of ways, I mean, certainly Maps, you know, was perhaps the single of, you know, the indie rock single there of the 2000s. Is. Let's just review that one song, throw them all away. <laughs> that is the song, I think, if you're talking alternative 2000s, the whole, the whole era. Alt we punk, come, 2000s. Oh, yeah, yeah. The whole Post era. Alt punk. The whole era. Post we, alt. The whole era we cover on this podcast with the whole hype machine and all that maps, I think, is the one that that's your uh, that's your surface. smells like teen spirit in a way. That's your crossover yeah. hit. That's the alternative rocker of the 2000s. I mean, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anything else that would usurp that. You could say like maybe maybe something like LCD sound system. One mm-hmm. of you know, like all my friends or something could be it. And I think even all my friends is is the number one on Pitchfork's the songs list. But maps, I mean, like you're saying though, it, it just encompasses pretty much everything that we've been talking about for the past 28 episodes and you know, everything that we're doing. You know, it 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 broke the hype machine, that song in a way, because it it did, you know, it helped them break out of that and become bigger than the hype machine in a way, yeah, you know, move beyond the buzz. Yeah. And, and unfortunately kids, these, this, you know, kids these days, the, the, they can't even relate to that song because they don't even know what a map is. They don't know what they, maps are. Yeah. They, they couldn't, they get point, all their directions on TikTok. They couldn't point Karen O out on a map. Yeah. They're like, map, what is that? Some sort of paper Google directions yeah. thing. You know, I always say, Caleb, this mm-hmm. country, this country goes to war in order to teach kids about geography and the song Maps by Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. All right. <laughs> Noah the Boomer in the house. <laughs> All right. What's next? Ratings? <laughs> not, not quite. We don't have to put this episode in hyperspeed. <laughs> yes, we do. I think we do. <laughs> Hey, the format works, you know. We have like a actual musician who appreciates it now. We have a fan <laughs> who's not somebody who grew up in Santa Maria and grew up smoking weed with us. Somebody who grew up in England smoking weed with us spiritually. Um <laughs> yeah, we could um is thank you so much for that uh, the album background. Is there any other curios you want to add, or should we just jump into the um the, our our histories? No, I mean, we can jump into our history. I think, you know, a lot of the other stuff is stuff that's pretty well known. I mean, like, you know, maps being about uh, Angus Andrew from uh, Liars. You know, I think that's pretty. 
when she when people you know when people ask Karen O about it, that's kind of you know that's the story is that she was yeah dating him and they were on tour and it was hard for them and so it was kind of this longing sort of towards song. Celebrity death match wise, uh, Angus mm-hmm. uh, what's his name Angus Young? No, that's Angus, a- Angus Andrews. <laughs> I think he's already dead. Angus Andrews right? and Karen Angus O like versus Cat Power and Bill Callahan. Who's winning that <laughs> power couple off indie power couple off? Uh, I think team. I think Angus Andrew has the reach because he's like seven yeah. five or something. He's fucking ridiculously yeah. tall. Yeah, and maybe like, oh no, here comes Joanna Newsome. She's like running down. She has a chair. She has her harp. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Somebody animate that for us. Huh? Yes, please. We need an in-house animator. <laughs> Claymation only. Yeah. <laughs> Take your time. That shit's not funny, dude. I YouTube celebrity deathmatch because i was like dude i love that show when i was a kid i watch yeah. it now it's so lame it was just the most pandering shit it's like hey you know this person and it was from this based, thing and you know was, this person from this thing and that was it that was the joke is it like, was based on a brisk iced tea commercial with <laughs> oh right with the one with uh oh yeah <laughs> oh and then uh is it oh i just said another drink rock you never hear about blue brisk anymore <laughs> Have you? When was the last time you it. saw Brisk on? Yeah, and then they had the commercial with the uh, That's Brisk um, baby. Fucking uh, Babe Ruth, right? Was that yeah, my... Barks. Barks no longer has bite. Brisk isn't. Brisk baby. isn't Brisk baby. Yeah, it's all done, man. <laughs> Put in baby on What's the end happening? of things, like saying something and then saying baby. Did Brisk bring that into the zeitgeist, or was that, has that always been? I think it was Brisk Ice Tea and, um, and Swingers. Vin, I think. Vince Vaughn. Oh, yeah. Swingers. <laughs> yeah, swingers. yeah. I was talking to Jen earlier about saying baby like, on the you're end. Brisk, of things. baby, you're Brisk. Or like in It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life when a Violet has the two dates and they're like, "We'll be waiting for you, baby." Oh yeah, well that's all right. over. Like, yeah, that's all like old timey talk. But like, yeah, I think it all comes from dudes trying to talk like you know. All right black and white movies anyways baby what's our personal histories baby yeah who wants to start us off caleb you go first talk all right dude i like that being assertive (laughs) now uh (laughs) yeah my personal history with this out it's one of those things it's kind of like i just had i don't it was just everywhere you know you it's just kind of like native to my adolescence you know it's like there wasn't a time where someone's it was like you know other things like where adrian would like be in class and be like here's a burn cd or like have you heard of this or like you know like being at the library and like reading an article and spin or whatever it would they were just like they were just there you know they just became a part of like the ambient culture you know and being more in tune with yeah like i guess like whatever alt rock indie rock whatever i don't know if i was calling it it's probably calling it alt rock at that time or just zeist like, zeist rock zeist rock yeah zeitgeist i like that rock. <laughs> um yeah, so I just remember them being there, like that song Maps being there. I remember people talking about it as indie rock, but it being like very popular. And like that was like the first time I like heard indie rock referred to as like a sound, not as like bands who were signed to independent labels or like who had independent tour circuits or did it through independent like means of production and distribution, you know, to like to hear I was like, and I remember being a little reactionary, you know, as, as like a kid who kind of fancied himself a bit of a musical elitist and still kind of do. I was like, no, indie means you're on fucking matador. I mean, you're on epitaph, you know, like I thought you had to be underground and I got to define what that was, you know? And so I was like, so I think at first I was like, oh, this band's like really popular. Can I like it? And then, um, Kind of hearing, yeah, hearing maps everywhere, and then like everyone was into it. This had like it was embraced by all comers, you know, like like 
scene stirs were into it little sisters little siblings normies yeah it was kind of starter pack stuff freaks sex <laughs> nerds the drama kings retro rockers alternate it was like kids alternative kids yeah skizoids burners this is the fairest right people. righteous dudes um it was the save ferris but not the band Safe Ferris. The They're movie. basically the Safe Ferris the, the without, um, because they have a female singer. They are the Safe Ferris without horns, basically. Uh, kind of. <laughs> Think about it. Oh, man. I'm sure they um, love that. Uh, yeah, no, that's horrible. Never compare anyone to Safe. But um, yeah, so I, that's kind of like what my, like uh, the context to me, like finding out about them was. And um, yeah, I mean, like you can't underestimate the, like just the omnipresence of Maps as a song is just being like a sentimental anthem. You know, like you probably want to hear it at like a school dance or whatever, but like you heard it in cars, you heard it like, you know, TJ Maxx, heard it at the mall, you know, everyone hear it at a sporting event. You heard it at a sporting event. Yeah. Um, It was right next to, you know, uh, Franz Ferdinand, right next to Modest Mouse, like all of these bands. And then later, like Seven Nation Army. Right. All these artists were. Breaching the kind of mainstream, yeah, wall, like, you know? yeah. And then Maps through. had that whole thing where Kelly Clarkson, that since you've been gone, was kind of oh, sounded yeah. familiar. So hers was like the pop version, which you could say that song is the biggest pop song of the two thousands. You know what? Since you've been gone, that, that song holds up. That's a good song, yeah. dude. It's a good still, karaoke still song. Slapper. You put that on, you, you'll find me singing. But it, it kind of borrows the riff a little. Well, bit. I think, yeah, I think, it, I think they, I think they've intentionally said that before. I think, and I think that they've asked Karen O and she's kind of been like, yeah, that wasn't really very cool of them to do that. Even though she does shout us out about it. I'm I'm sure they've collaborated together since then. Yeah. Maybe not. (laughs) But um, yeah, I remember, I remember enjoying it and just kind of knowing that the, like the singles and um, I didn't really like hear like the deeper album stuff, like these deeper album subtracts till like later. I don't know why, like maybe it was like a few years later when I was like a senior and, and I never owned a copy of it. I don't, I don't know if it was like didn't want a copy of it or just never got around to grabbing one or whatever. But so I would just kind of hear it as people put it on. And I, I liked it. I liked the energy, you know, kind of had I was big into punk and it kind of had a punk vibe. And yeah, like you were saying, it was kind of sounding like a lot of the bands. So like, you know, yeah, the kind of the rawness, that kind of, you know, driving sound. I thought it was cool to hear like a female vocalist in a band like that. You know, that was unfortunately unique for its time. Um, even though, you know, women have always been the front people of bands or, you know, non male identifying folks. So like that was cool because it kind of like opened you up to a whole, you know, world of, you know, bands with female lead singers, like whether it's Blondie or Susie and the Banshees or like even like, you know, more obscure stuff like Lydia Lunch, the Teenage Jerks or whatever. So like it kind of opens up to a lot of that and like, you know, kind of lets you open your, expand your mind and, you know, expand like, your idea of what a front person can be you know yeah and then um yeah then i remember like kind of sitting with the album more and more people pay and liking the more like the deeper album tracks because there's like some tracks on there that have like straight up riffs you know that are like heavier there's like even like things that are approximating blast beats and a lot of like kind of references to more outsider not outsider but like deeper underground music that i was into so it was like cool to like hear that they were kind of working with that set of influences as well. So, um, yeah, I have a pretty positive history with it, but it's more broad. It's pretty, it's probably more in line with like kind of everyone else's just them being there and being like a huge fucking band. So I'll leave nice. it at that. 
Yeah. One, two, three, let's go. Adrian. <clears throat> yeah, actually, that's uh, I had a similar experience to you in the sense of like not having heard it till later and, and stuff like that. But I, I first came to the Yaya's. I probably read about them in Spin Magazine or something like that. Like you, you just kind of uh, touched on a little bit. You know, probably saw that, you know, oh, the Yaya's, the new EP out and blah, blah, blah. New York band, they're blowing up. So I, I checked that out. <clears throat> I was a really big fan of that first EP. It's really great. Still, it holds up. Um, it's a little bit more raw. We're a lot more raw and uh, the songs are a little bit more charged in a way, vocal wise and, and uh, musically. Uh, I think they got a little bit more polished on the debut, but I really liked it and I thought they were super cool. You know, I liked how they were a little more druggy, a little bit more artsy than the strokes, you know, even though I like I like the strokes and I like the white stripes and stuff, but they were coming at it from a different kind of angle. You know, this is more of a like, yeah, art damaged, you know, a little bit weirder, uh, you know, and to me, and when I was around that time, I, I wanted to get into the kind of more weirder stuff, the stuff that's a little bit more, you know, uh, a little more dark and, and interesting. They were um, that bridge between downtown and, and Brooklyn. They were taking you <laughs> across the Williamsburg Bridge. <laughs> I mean, in a way, yeah, kind You're of. You're going to Dumbo, but... baby. <laughs> the subway map of uh, music <laughs> but but yeah once you know once the debut dropped then i similarly to you caleb I, I heard it through other people you know whether it's our friends playing it and in, in the car or whatever um that's kind of where i first heard it around you know when it first dropped uh and then eventually later i uh i managed to hear like the whole thing because <clears throat> when you're listening to it in cars you're not really paying attention you know maybe you'll pull out the yeah maps or Y control or one of the other singles. I didn't really dive into the, the, you know, the deeper cuts until a couple of years later, um, as you're saying, Caleb, similarly, the, my girlfriend at the time, she was super into it. And so I would listen to it with her and I was like, Oh, this record actually, you know, it's more than just maps. You know, it's, it actually, there's a lot of really great tracks on here. As you're mentioning the, there's a lot of nice riffing, a lot of stuff that, you know, spoke to kind of the more classic rock stuff that I liked, but then it was, you know, mixed with, yeah, the, it was, you know, I, I wrote here, it's kind of like Led Zeppelin meets pill meets stooges meets velvets drone, you know, kind of all put together, which sidebar, I watched that velvets doc. It's uh, really excellent. Really good. Uh, everyone should check that out on Apple plus, but, but yeah. Right. And, uh, it was check uh, out Todd Haynes's Wonder. That's just a really uh, inspiring movie. <laughs> oh boy! If you guys like Todd Haynes, that's probably his best movie, Wonder. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So then you know, listening through the rest of the record, I was like, damn, this, this these guys are really great. And actually, it was, went beyond the hype because I think <clears throat> I wasn't necessarily turned off from them because of the hype, but it was certainly something where I was. It was a little bit, yeah, I, I, I kind of stepped aside. I was like, okay, maybe now that everyone else is kind of getting into them, I don't know if, uh, you know, just because in that, when you're in high school, that's kind of the mentality you have. Like, oh, now everyone's into them. Is it really worth my time? Even though it's more like what you're not into is like how you derive your personality. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's fucking stupid and it's pointless. But I, yeah, I certainly, and some it, of that was going into my thought process at the time. And it goes on for like 20 years. It's no <laughs> Still can't shake it. So I was like pleasantly surprised that it was so good. 
Um, and eventually, yeah, like I, I got a copy of the record and it became sort of a, uh, something I would return to not often, but it's always been something, you know, I, I like to listen to was pleasurable. I would throw on maps more often than the others, you know, or some of the other tracks and, um, that continued through, uh, through to list listen, uh, for this, nice. but uh, Noah, why don't we, uh, hear your take? Your history. Yeah, I have a pretty rich history with this. I would have heard, uh, I believe I heard the EP back in 03. I was up at school at Santa Cruz and living in the dorm rooms. And a friend of mine, she had, she had like all the, the bands, Strokes and stuff like that, Rapture. But she had that EP and I listened to it. I was like, well, it's kind of out there. And then I remember, it, yeah, like you were saying, Caleb, it sort of all like, felt like within a week it was just like whoa okay yeah 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 they're like rock stars now because i remember reading that spin magazine with them on the cover and i was like whoa karen oh she looks cool and then um and then i eventually got my hands on a copy of the album but i think for the most part it was just listening to maps was such a huge song and then uh once i dropped out of college i was back home in santa maria and i definitely went and bought this album at the best buy and by then this album was like one of those like 7.99 albums you know it was so huge it was kind yeah. of just like it was a huge best buy album it was like on yeah. the end caps and shit yeah if i recall and so i definitely bought it and i would listen to it a lot this is definitely disc man era for me walking around town with my disc man listening to this it was, yeah, it's kind of like transitional. It's a little bit starter where it's like by the time I got bought this album, I was already like spending a lot of time at the Santa Maria Library and picking up like all those wire records and oh, Susie yeah. and the Banshees. So it was like the older stuff that influenced television, telev- the older stuff that yeah. influenced all the um, New York retro rockers at the time. So it kind of was like, oh, okay, maybe this is a little quaint, not as out there as i think it is but i would listen to this a lot and then i remember breaking up with somebody in my early 20s and i would listen to that song modern romance quite a bit so it did it was kind of a it was always a cathartic thing for me like it maybe mm-hmm. it always gave me like a little spark of youth and like kind of longing and loss stuff like that there's like a heart to this album that i always have tapped into i guess but it's kind of a big album for me as far as starting to like chase all these hype bands, like, Oh, I got to listen to every new band and every new old band that influences these new bands. So it was kind of like this musical tension, uh, just sort of trying to consume everything. Yeah. And then that all died out where I was like, okay, maybe I need to go back to like jazz and, right. and like soul. Like, <laughs> well, this, this one's kind like, of been worked, worked on us maybe because it's like against their interests where you're like ah oh, you know this is all hype shit i don't really have to listen to it and then you're like you hear you're like oh actually it is good so then yeah you like start to track down like you know maybe this fucking spoon album is great you know and you're like i don't know don't believe the hype against the hype kind of thing you know yeah um the but, backlash uh, against the backlash yeah it's an album i listen to a lot in my i'd say from like age 18 to like 24 and then it's kind of like, okay, that's enough. Key demo. You were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yada, yada, yada. I'm pretty tired the next day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can we take a little breaky and then yeah. finish this bad boy up? Let's take yeah. a break. We have time for that, timekeeper <laughs> Caleb. Hey, man, I'm the crib keeper, baby. 
Excellent. No way. What does he say? That's Mr. Burns. <laughs> Same Spook, dude. Spooks. I think the Crypt Keeper, his whole, um, isn't it his whole like catchphrase? I'm the Crypt Keeper. Like, he does puns. <laughs> he does pun. Yeah, pun. But he doesn't have like a, I think his whole thing is I'm the Crypt Keeper is like his signature line. Yeah, he's cool. All right. All right. Shout out John Kazir. Okay. Bye. See you guys soon. Yeah, who gives a fuck about what we thought about this album? What do we think about this album now? Yeah, do your Live own in the research. Now. <laughs> oh, no. Do your own recollections. I can go just piggybacking off my history because uh, my personal history, as I said, was it was such a uh, touchstone album for me. And it was what I would touchstone call pictures. like an, an important album, <laughs> not just within the um, kind of hype blog rock of the time which i think it is you can't really tell that story i would say it's proto blog rock yeah i think it is it's still print it's like in print rock still it was like message board rock magazine rock Uh, rock. (laughs) like the band it's kind of like the band the magazines um or magazine i think it's just single singular but anyways when i put this on i think i texted you guys i was like ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like yikes, yikes, yikes. Because I was like, <laughs> it didn't resonate with me on the first blush. And especially like, I think the three, the first three songs were a little clunky and it was a little more stompier kind of blues rock to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, this leans towards arena rock more than it's I like, thought. it's like finger wag rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, and, and I think they do have really good riffs and her voice is very interesting. But then as the album goes along, it does kind of tap into some more. Yeah, I guess some more her when her vocals get a little more subdued. I think those songs still really hold up. There's like a tenderness there. But at first it was just a little spiky for me. And then what I did was like, well, when I used to listen to this album is when I was like walking around kind of aimlessly in sort of a, you know, late teens early 20s kind of haze of confusion and probably some depression that i was dealing with and so i was like you know what i'll I'll put this on the headphones and walk around and listen to the album and i did that like two or three times over the course of the last week and a half and it it did still hit me in the feels a little bit it did still tick that kind of nostalgia box for me and I don't think it's just kind of flash in the pan rock. I think there is some resonance here. Hmm. Maybe not an important album in the grand scheme of things. And maybe there's there's a handful of songs that are bigger than the actual album. Like the some of the parts kind of don't always add up. Like, you know, I think you can kind of... Hmm. There's a good EP in here, I think, is what I'm trying to say. But maybe some filler. I don't know. It... Um, I was surprised. I, I thought it would blow me away and it took a little while to 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 hit with me currently. So yeah, a little disappointing, but then it grew on me. All right. I know we're gonna rate it later. How many yas would you give it? Just you know, <laughs> off the top of your dome. I'd give it like a yeah, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh boy, okay. Well, uh, I can take it from there. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I wasn't uh, as hesitant to kind of return to this as some of the other ones because I had, you know, I had been listening to some of these songs fairly recently before this. But you know, 
it's always a little bit dicey when you're going to return to something so that was so definitive of its time and so hyped and so large. Um, but but I was pleasantly, you know, surprised, not surprised, but I was, you know, it was nice to come return to it and be like, oh, yeah, this is actually this still is good record, a good record. As you're saying, Noah, there's some stuff where there's a few songs where you're like, honestly, they're right in the middle. There's a couple of songs where I just zone out every time and I don't even you know, they're not bad songs at all. It's just it's not as interesting as some of the bigger songs that kind of one name the album. Kind of, in a way more of the same it is kind of like yeah 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 okay yeah <laughs> but you know i i, I the <clears throat> the songs that hit before they still hit you know the production is still killer i think listening now i really appreciate it a lot more than i did before i mean it, i i always appreciate it but before it was kind of the songs were the main thing and now i'm like looking at it as a whole holistic piece of of art you know looking at the production looking at the the you know the marketing and everything and just thinking about that time i think that you know it, it is a, a nice little slice of it but also because it is so nicely produced and so well done it it can exist beyond just that moment and as, as you're saying like is it an important record anymore is it as influential as it once was i don't know i, I don't think so i think that maps is probably still influential and still holding you know a big part of the consciousness of indie dumb or whatever just because it was such a big moment but this record you know i don't know um and that's not necessarily a bad thing i think that you know maybe maybe picture pitchfork weren't so off in kind of not canonizing this right off the bat you know but yeah the the production really works because you know the it's so clean and crisp it allows the the drums and the guitar to really kind of hold things down and take over, even though there are times when it's kind of just exploding, it's still kind of all holds held in, held in place by the open production. You know, it doesn't get bogged down in, in, in the, the kind of overwhelming sounds at time. Um, and that kind of allows Karen O to, to, to perform over the top of it and, and do her thing, you know, and her, I think most of the vocal performances on here are very much, you know, hard on your sleeve kind of, you know, showcasing her, she, she's a very emotive singer and very, you know, in a way, especially when you compare her to like Julian Casablancas or some of the other male figures at the time where it was more detached. I think it's very much, you know, and maybe that's part of why it was kind of seen as, I don't know, unhip or uncool is because it was kind of earnest in a way. Yeah, it was like you know, trying, it, try hard. Right. I mean, and that's kind of what the review was hinting at is like, oh, she tries so hard. But is that necessarily a bad thing when it sounds so good? And when, you know, the emotions hit, like you're saying, I don't think so. I think that that's I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think a big part of it for me still is the guitar, which I think is still excellent. I think there's some really nice big riffs on here, as well as some more textural stuff that's that, you know, really, really helps connect them to like the the older new york stuff but also you know it still sounds fresh and and some of it is very much you know led zeppelin stomper kind of stuff that that you know it's not the most interesting stuff but it's still really fun to listen to and you know it's it it gets you pumped but then yeah then there's just the songs like maps or you know why control or um uh you know modern romance or or any number of, of the bigger songs where it's like, yeah, all of the pieces fit together. All the pieces work on these ones and push it so far out of the park that 
but yeah, maybe these, maybe it could have just been a one or two really killer EPs, you know, and, and that would have been, you know, a, a better showcase for them, but uh, who knows, you know, uh, just listening to it now, I think it's, it still holds up. I think it's a great record and um, you know, I think I'll continue to listen to it into the future. It's, you know, I don't know if I'll return to some of those middle tracks as much, but, um, but certainly the big, the big tracks. Yeah. I think that's always going to be part of uh, my personal canon for sure. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I listened to it a few times. I, I mean, I've heard it just like I said, ambiently for like, you know, the past, whatever, almost going on 20 years at this point, you know, like maps gets played a lot. Like, you know, somebody puts it on a mixtape. It's good, you know, put on a sentimental drinking hour kind of song, you know, mm-hmm. um, modern romance too. So, you know, it comes up a lot. Like I said, like I got into the deeper album tracks later. You don't really hear those a lot, you know, and hearing it now, it's like, yeah, it has like a format and, it, you know, it sticks to it and it kind of does some like variations within that. Um, you know, it's like you're saying it's some down home, downtown, greasy rock and roll at times throw a little bit of like angular noisy guitar on there kind of you know weird things out a little bit and that's cool and some of the vocal delivery stuff's a little bit i don't know it's like i have a critique of a lot that i bring up a lot is the fake stank alert um there's she put some fake stank on it um it's not as cringy as like you know a fucking like white dude doing it but you know i guess it kind of works for the kind of bluesy stompers you're doing but for me it's hard to not hear the influence that they've had that i don't think is a necessarily good influence and set like kind of like stompy kind of post arena rock kind of shit you know you like you hear it like it's commercial music and i don't mean like i mean like music in commercials you know (laughs) where it's just like yeah it's like your fake 12 bar blues played electrically and there's like you know you can be played in a soccer stadium you played in a car commercial i don't know i think like them and like Florence yeah. and the Machine or whatever kind of laid down that shit. Yeah, Maps um, is playing on like the end credits of the OC season three or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. And um, yeah, but you know, oh, but it is it is fun to listen to. I do like the length of it. I think it's a nice brisk thirty seven minutes or whatever. I think it's like a perfect debut album. Should be that. Um, should be that length, you know, uh, it doesn't get overly ambitious. You know, there is some kind of more ballad paced stuff. Good, you know, so it's a little bit more melodic and, you know, like sentimental and that, you know, that's good. It would be better if it was speckled. I don't know. I feel like the last half or the third of it is more that stuff, but the first front of the albums. Yeah. Just kind of, I don't know. It's a little exhausting with that kind of like sassy. I don't know, is it sexist to say it's sassy? Can I say it's sassy? Yeah, it's sass. Like, it looks some like yeah, sassy some rock. Sass. Yeah, um, <laughs> some snot rock. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's like the playing's really strong. She's like a really convincing front person. You know, the production is pretty crisp. You know, it's it's tight and it's like you know, it has a high strung kind of like anxious energy to it, which is fitting for where you know it comes from in the time. Um, you know, like post nine eleven in New York and shit. So it's like it kind of embodies that scene pretty well. But yeah, like I was saying, it's not it's not something I'm like super stoked about or it's like this like hidden in plain sight kind of gem, which a lot some of these albums can be like a lot, you know, more popular albums are where you're like, no, they're actually really good. This album is actually really good, but it's not like it doesn't hit that extra gear, you know, of where like I relate to it a ton, you know, or it's like really pulls on my heartstrings or really like 
engages me on a deeper level. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate what they were able to put together. And if and if you guys will indulge a comparison, right? So let's take another region-based musical scene that blew up, right? Previous to the New York one. And let's 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 go back to the 90s. Let's go to Seattle. Okay. So the strokes are Nirvana. The white stripes are, I don't know, fucking Pearl Jam. Allison Chains, that's Interpol. And then fucking, yeah, you guys are like Soundgarden, I think. Yeah. I guess, like, in terms of like both their use of like kind of harder rock, bluesier stuff, really dynamic, wailing front person. And it kind of reminded me you listen to a Soundgarden album and you're like, not every song is a fucking hit, but when it works, it really works and kind of hits that you know, that soul bone that you need, um, as a real, yeah, like a really, you know, high performing front person, good references to like classic rock. Like you're saying, like, you know, a little bit of like Zeppelin and Sabbath and shit just thrown in there. Um, but I think they're kind of as remembered as Soundgarden where they're more remembered for their, you know, their slower kind of more sentimental ballads, but fundamentally they were like a greasy rock band. And yeah, I think the IAS are the Soundgarden of downtown New York in the 2000s so yeah i think that's pretty fair comparison yeah yeah so um i don't know why that came to mind but i was just kind of like yeah thinking about like how this band is framed now and how they're remembered now and what they're remembered for and that's actually not super representational uh what their like kind of core sound was you know they kind of moved they got way more ambitious and like took on a bunch of other things and subsequent albums you know but i think for this album this is like that, that was at their core, just making like kind of greasy, like greasy, sweaty rock, rock and roll. And I think they succeed, but yeah, I'm not going to necessarily keep coming back to it. I'll put maps on when I'm like, you know, getting driving, driving you know, into the a, pints, need a good cry with the homies. And <laughs> yeah. you're lost. Yeah. You're lost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's how I feel about it. You know, they're, they, they're, uh, they're doing like a reissue. And they're changing maps to Google Maps. Google, yeah, it's a little product Ooh. placement. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> you hear this? You hear this? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As we're going on a 25th anniversary reunion tour, he changed the name from Maps to Google Maps. Ooh. Folks. Well, at least it's not Apple Maps. I've been, I've been watching a lot of. Map. I've been watching a lot of Johnny Carson reruns lately, so that's where my humor is coming from these days. Wow, you're doing that now. It's pretty good, dude. It's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Television it's, in the 70s. It was a weird, weird, wild, stuff. weird yeah. wild stuff. Yes, indeed. You think Karnak could have predicted this? It's like, is this bit racist? Oh, yes, oh, wise one. What was the thing? It was like, may your sister share a bunk bed with Boris Yeltsin or whatever. <laughs> that was that was the, all the Simpsons. <laughs> he does so many bits that are like 70s gibberish where you listen, <laughs> you're like, what the fuck did you just say? It's like Anita Eckelberg meets Boutros Boutros Gully and like the crowd erupts and it's like, I guess there's a reference in there. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Right on. Yeah, let's let's you know Let's let's get in some slaps. I mean, or should we just get in some maps? Should we just talk about it? <laughs> let's do wax and maps. Wax and maps. I could go. I'm I'm fucking primed. Kick it um, off. I mean, obviously, we'll probably get to maps at you know a later time in this podcast. I think we've talked around it and about it a lot. But um, I think what 
the sneaker hit on this album is is you know because like the the bottom end of the album not the last three songs but pretty much effectively the last three songs are maps why control and modern romance right am i remembering yeah. that right and then there's yep. the secret song yeah yeah and i think the sleeper hit in those is the middle song and i think why control is my slap Great i think song. it's a more effective more melodic kind of ballad one of those three that are kind of all similar ish in tone um but i think it incorporates more of that like rhythmic quality that they had and like it has like some cool like kind of funky synth synth work going on in it yeah and it kind of uses melody with a little bit more propulsion you know a little bit more that kind of rock and punk kind of um element that was part of the band's dna so um yeah it's a good kind of encapsulation of kind of both of their both of their you know their yeah. poles that they were I have working that with. as a slapper as well kevin it almost holds up better than maps just because it, I think was, it does yeah it was less overplayed you know right which isn't a right. fault of the yeah 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 it's just how some songs just become like almost non-songs you've hear, heard them so many times totally yeah. but yeah caleb if you uh agent do you have anything to say about white control i have a the minute five stamp is like this cool little uh, like the, the guitar sounds like a alarm going off or something it's weird but it's like this little shuffle no yeah i <clears throat> i also had this as a slapper i think i mean it's one of the singles and i think it, it and like you're saying caleb coming at the end here in the last half i mean <clears throat> this this record kind of bookends with with kind of like it starts off with a bang and then it ends in kind of like this ballad area which you know these these last few songs are probably some of the some of the best on the record if not the best but yeah, why control? I agree with everything you said, Caleb. I think it's uh, it encompasses a lot of the, the stuff that's you know that's great about them. The, the sort of wiry guitar, you know, throwing in a little bit of the synth feel. The drum work is really excellent. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, Karen O has like her vocals on this are probably some of the best on the record. Um, and then in terms of like just being like heart on your sleeve, just going for it, like it's just yeah, it, it hits in that way. But let me. You said one oh five, Noah. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's a bit of why control. Yeah, that little kind of ringing guitar sound. Yeah, is cool. that's a good scronky guitar. But yeah, I, I like to call what, it guitar playing downtown guitar. That's what throws me off about this album, Caleb. Is the guitars are so chunky sounding? Yeah, it's almost, it is, it's almost like guitar rock. It is like grungy, you know. It's like really chunky, and they even have a song that I think kind of makes fun of like the whole chugga chugga sound of, mm-hmm. of guitars at the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah still a good slapper yeah it's good attention to tone and you can totally tell i don't know the name of the guitar player um uh, but yeah but you can totally tell that guy's like a fucking guitar guy you know like Mm -hmm. like it's very guitar guy very particular like what amps and like whatever kind of the zinner he's a zinner and a saint yeah (laughs) (laughs) he does not feel ashamed he's also i think in terms of guitar work he 
because he's the only guitar he's holding it down he's kind of has to hold down sort of the bottom end as well as the guitar part so he you know that's i think that's part of why his shit's so chunky and um yeah his tones are just really killer and uh you know he's a really it's another really key integral part of this band i don't think that they would be as successful if it wasn't for you know his his lines you know that chunkiness mm-hmm. mixed with the kind of the wiry stuff over the top and you know he goes off into different tangents that are like very you know post punkish or you know more um you know uh, ambient sounding or or noise rock sounding you know he, he yeah. he's all over the place on this record and it really uh he really holds it down in that way yeah and the outro has a very kind of my, my bloody valentine noise rock going on shoegaze almost yeah yeah let's see if i can uh yeah, well, let's hear that and then, uh, some of that in here and then we can go yeah we'll go on to the we'll next one go into another slapper here's a bit of the end of why control Really uh, using that delay pedal, dude. Totally, yeah. I'm I'm such a big fan of mixing of noise and melody. You know, um, it's just a nice push and pull kind of tonal relationship. Nice. Yeah. Well done. So, Adrian, yeah. you want to do a slap air? Yeah. So, I've pretty much highlighted the key stuff. Well, I can talk about one that that you. No one would probably say is a uh, is whack. Um, <laughs> what makes I'll you say, say that, bro? Because <laughs> you, I think you have it down. You have it down as the first three oh, tracks. You read you my not... notes. <laughs> well, you, looking they, over they, my shoulder. <laughs> um. Yeah, doc. Uh, I'm yeah. calling you out. I just thought but, the first uh, three I'm songs. Calling you in. We call people in now. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. This is where, like the, one of the few albums where I could say the first three songs don't work but the last three songs work that's so rare in an album but that's interesting see i i disagree i think i'll, I'll go with you on the third track um which i think caleb you also have as oh a, yeah yeah that song's a sneaker is a stinker but um i think rich uh and date with the night that those, those two back to back i have date date with the night as a honorable mention but i think those two back to back it starts off the record with a bang i disagree i don't think that they're you know, uh, bad tracks, but I'll talk about rich. I think for me, rich really starts off the record and gets you, you know, it it really just drops you right into their sound. You know, it starts with that kind of like synthy guitar part. That's kind of robotic, but also kind of not. And then it goes into the chunky riff and then, you know, Karen O's vocals come on and it, it all, it's all the elements that, that, you know, the, yeah yeah as would be known for and i think that that's you know as we've talked about before like when you can open the album with something that's definitive of your sound i think that's really that's a really important thing to do i mean it's not always necessary and there's plenty of records where the intro has been you know uh throwaway or something that's more you know uh something that's that sets the tone in a different way maybe it's coming at it from a more ambient place or from a more you know low-key thing um but this, I think, just coming out right out of the gate, right into their sound, right into a, you know, uh, a kind of um, 
a, a you know a, a soft rocker in a way um and not soft in the like seals and croft but like uh not as intense as some of their other tracks but but yeah that's i mean i don't know do you guys have any thoughts on this uh, caleb do you have anything to, to add maybe? no yeah it's a good it's a good like it's not like I'm, I'm probably more in agreement with noah about the front of this album but i mean I, in terms of like a, a tone setter i think it's like yeah i think it really um is a nice little entree into you know what they're bringing and um yeah i think it's a good it's it's a really effective lead off and yeah i mean it has it has that cool like interplay of the guitar work and stuff you know and it's like one person doing it so that's super dope but Let's yeah i mean it. yeah well yeah all right unless you had something else to add Caleb? who said um talking about music is like dancing about architecture that's true. oh uh is that godard was that <laughs> yes <laughs> i maybe Anyways, I'm going to stop d- dancing about architects. That's what we should have named this podcast, <laughs> The Dancing Architects. Oh. <laughs> Is that a band from the 2000s that we could do? <laughs> Probably. All right. Well, uh, here is some of... It was Martin Moore. <laughs> here is some of Rich. Martin Moore? The opening yeah. track. See that that whole the whole first three tracks of this album gives me such like it was a band that you two loved, um, Queens of the Stone Age type of rock <laughs> that was so huge at that time. And I had no patience for any of that shit. I thought that shit sucked and it still sucks. Wow, dude. That's how you really feel. <laughs> well, I disagree about that. I think those quotes of records are still good, but I I don't know. I can kind of see what you're saying in terms of it being like more of the the kind of chugga chugga stuff that was going on at the time a little bit. Not chugga chugga, but like uh, but yeah. swaggery uh, chug. You know what yeah, the hell? riff, yeah. the riff rock for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I for me it worked personally. It works, and I can see why it wouldn't work for you. Um, but I was also thinking like if I this track would probably be killer live. Like if you opened it up live and could hear you know, the, that little needly part, plus that big chunky, you know, that big riff coming in. I think that would really hit if you were, you know, in a small club in 2003 yeah. or whatever. I will say too, breathy vocal alert on those first three tracks. Maybe that was <laughs> getting in my way a little bit. Yeah. Breathing your ear. Going back to that quote, I, I looked up the quote. It's been attributed on the internet to no less than seven people. Oh, very. Uh, you got Elvis Costello, hot take, <laughs> Thelonious Monk, Steve Martin. So it's nobody actually said it. Caleb, do us a favor, read uh, Elvis Costello's other famous quote for us on air. Can I read that on the air? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, Google that. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, I'm, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna look at this up off air, but um, ooh, yeah, that's provocative. Okay. Uh, um, so should I go into a slap? Yeah. I have well, I had two that I wanted to highlight. I think the song Tick, I think does the kind of punk rock thing pretty well as far as like when it's going for a more in your face kind of rocker. 
Um, so tick, it's like song number four. So I think that mm-hmm. should have been the start of the album. And Adrian, if you want to play like 35 seconds in, it has this raw energy. It's almost almost ESG esque. I just thought it was a little tighter, a little yeah, it just sounded cooler than those first three songs. Yeah. I I mean I don't disagree. It's a good track, but frankly, this is kind of the start of where I my brain starts to tune out. I don't know if it's because <laughs> these songs are so short and yeah. like they just kind of bleed into each other. Like man, tick and black tongue in particular kind of all bleed into each other for me. Yeah. Um, but I agree. Like I like the riff and I like the song. It's just it's not as memorable as some of the other tracks for me. Um, but I don't know, Caleb. You have anything to add? Before I'm in the same. Yeah, it's kind of one of those bleeders, you know, just like <laughs> kind of one song into the next. Um, kind of the, those doldrums of the album. Okay. Yeah, but like as you're saying, maybe if it was removed, put you know, when you bring it up to the top, maybe it would uh, breathe some life into it, uh, more life into it. But here is a bit. Yeah, maybe swap it out for one of those first other first three songs or whatever. Yeah, do a little rearranging, a little uh, Farby scissor hands. <laughs> There it is. Here is Tick. Kind of got a little post-punk. Yeah, that's cool. Spindling guitars, guitars. Yeah. spindly guitars. But yeah, a little just post-punk a, meets da- dance punk a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little quick hitter. Maybe maybe sounds pretty dated, but whatever. a little meet me in the bathroom kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. But as like you're saying, like it's I mean it's less than two minutes. You know, it's you're in and out. It works. It you know they hit it and then quit it, and it's uh, yeah. Well, it <laughs> some greats. All right, what's another right. slapper? I mean, I think yes. Modern Romance. I mean, that song's a banger. That song, like oh yeah, rules. That's just like a really well constructed, almost let's like orchestral save, pop jam. Let's save maps for the last one. And yeah, maybe, yeah. Can we go into Modern Romance? Because that is my favorite song, and that is a song that I t- still to this day return to. It just kind of like gives me that kind of youthful love lost static kind of yeah. feeling yeah a youthful kinda, thing if you've had a long mm-hmm. day it kind of gets you a little choked up and i do think it is great songwriting like her mm-hmm. lyrics are great and also the tv on the radio cover is pretty fantastic totally. it's, it's it's kind of a timeless song that i think anybody yeah. could cover you know like you yeah could and do it's it like I a like, soul ballad you could do yeah. it acoustic he's very stripped down version it's mm-hmm. it's just a good melody and her voice is really nice on this Fuck yeah. Totally agree. Did you have a like 30 seconds in because the yeah. intro is kind of a little slow, kind of dirge at first, but it kind of picks up. All right. Here is Modern Romance, the closing song.
kind of she kind of has like a Lou Reed cadence on that song. I mean that song that's like that's definitely a reference to yeah. Velvet Underground. Yeah, it sounds like, like the heroin. the Gray album or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's like, interesting. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know? I was about Audrey to say that romance. It, it reminds me a little <laughs> bit of um, like the vulnerability in her voice reminds me a little bit of After Hours. The, yeah. Um, the oh yeah. Good call. Kind of performance because it is kind of like it's it's sweet but it there is like a like a sensitivity a sensitiveness you know to the, to the voice and to the performance that i think is you know is palpable and i think that's what makes it so strong and um classic, such a classic song classic love song it's hard to write love songs and there's two good ones on this album well i'd say it's not a love song yeah. because she says there is no modern romance well, yeah but she's I, not but it's like is it better to have modern love romance loved and lost and not loved at all that yeah. kind of or maybe like right. i read existential it as, question i don't know if it's an interpersonal thing i think it's like kind of romance in the general sense of like you're romantic for an era you're romantic for nature and like can we be romantic about the modern era about modernity you know it's like when everything is just so fast-paced and detached i don't know that's kind of that was my reading of it it's like yeah the well, best then, days are behind us like what what do we really have to yeah be, you know there's a good lyric about caleb there's a good lyric i think it is more it's like uh a love for who you were because there's mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. lyric that's like like uh time it never stops like don't you know that it never stops kind of like this like shit you can't you can't it's so hard to hold on to feelings before another one comes up on you you know another one another one another one all right yeah that i think that sums it up pretty nicely um so should we move on to maps now maps, yeah slaps, maps. Slaps. <laughs> wait let's just sing it they know what it is ready wait it really <laughs> thinking back on it it really was everywhere like you you could not escape this song like it was playing yeah. on mtv all the time it was on the radio all the time it was on tv shows like the oc you know it was it was an it was an indelible part of you know 2003 2004 pop culture yeah and what you know it's such a good love like modern love song because it's like they don't love you like i it's like they're she's like fighting for something you know it's not just like i don't know it's well, she's like talking about different. the fans because some tension she's going on tour right and has to leave her boyfriend mm-hmm. behind so it's like they don't love you like like is that love you're getting from being a, a rock star now worth it to compromise the love you have in your relationship i think damn dude you're cut right that, cut yeah. that out <laughs> <laughs> And not to mention, dude's like six eight, so you know he's fucking packing heat. Oh yeah. So they need a map to find the end of that one. (laughs) (laughs) Or you don't need a map to find it. But yeah, I think it's another one where her performance really puts it over the top. You know, it's it's again, it's very vulnerable. It's it almost uh, brittle's the wrong word, but it's very much like she could fall apart at any second yeah. and that really adds to the tension of the song and the mm-hmm. and the kind of like it heightens that yearning it heightens that like kind of longing sense that that you know that the music also kind of plays into a little bit oh yeah maps baby 
Let's hear a little piece of it and then we'll go into our quick wax. Three quick wax. <laughs> yeah, let's just uh let's just get right to the right to the point here. Here is drop a pin in it, baby. <laughs> here is maps. That song is so big. It's one of those songs that they could have performed live at the Grammys and like the London Philharmonic. I would do yeah. that is so crazy. My call, yeah. I was going to say one more thing before we move on. I was going to say where like the era before that, especially if it was like kind of sentimental ballads, they would have thrown in like at least like, you know, like a string quartet, like cello or something, Choir. choirs into yeah. it. You know, you think Mops. of like the fucking like sixpence <laughs> on the rich or like fucking the goo goo dolls or whatever. Well, you the, know, all that the shit. Los Angeles children's choir. Or something. Yeah, yeah, instead of the guitar riff, instead, Caleb, it's like a hundred violins. But well, what like... I'm saying is it's <laughs> no, it seems like they're conscious of that. Like where they're like, mm -hmm. we're I'm making like a big statement i'm making like this big ballad and a lot of ballads from the 90s and 2000s were doing that and they were like no we're gonna like have that same like you know sense of grandeur or whatever but with like these like sawing guitars you know and just like having that layover and like you know because because strings can be like a little bit emotionally manipulative so they're doing that same work with like really loud guitars so i don't know i think it's i think there's a kind of a subconscious choice to not use yeah. strings yeah, well, it's like, yeah, and it's such a document of the era. We can't, it's one yeah. of the most, the most present songs in the last 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's, I think what you guys are getting, what you're getting at, Caleb, is that it's sweet without being syrupy. You know, yeah. it's not, the strings would, would make it saccharine and kind of cheesy, but because it is kind of still in the noisy New York kind yeah. of velvets thing, you know, it, it works. It works really, really fucking well. And I'm always such a sucker for when like a like a kind of like a hyped up rock and roll person can like then just sing a ballad. Like anytime like mm -hmm. Keith or uh, not Keith Richards, uh, Mick Jagger does like his kind of blue eyed soul voice. I'm always like, oh, OK, he's got a heart beneath all that cool. You know, I always like when the people kind of strip strip stuff down or a little more vulnerable kind of a sucker for that type of those types of songs on like more rock albums yeah totally welcome back a little quick hero before we do our um our uh, our wax uh you know that maps is an acronym what does it stand for my angus please stay oh <laughs> that's allegedly uh that's straight, that's straight out of uh, yeah 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 it's wikipedia it's kind of lame <laughs> yeah kind of demystifies <laughs> I think that's a yep, back that, is from that, a, that can't be. It totally is. It's from a, <laughs> I, I looked at the sighting and it was from a 2020 like talking head YouTube oh, video. They're over it. They're, yeah. yeah, there's like, there oh, here's like, a, yeah, there's you know, it's like the TikTok where like pointing at shit. You know, it's like one of those kind of videos. So, it's like an IMBD fact. Or yeah, like, yeah. IMDB fact. Goofs. Let's really hope that's not what it is. But okay. So that's a whack back in him. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> what are some wax on this album, fellas? 
Well, like I said, the first three songs I don't really care for. And then the middle, there's a couple middle songs I don't like. I think the one, Caleb, didn't we mention it, man? It's yeah, like we, a, we agree on that. It's only a minute long, but it's kind of just like a noisy it's track. It's just a little, it doesn't, doesn't need to work. be there. And it's it's cringe. I put cringe. It's um, dumb. And, yeah. and I think it's it's intentionally <laughs> supposed to be dumb, but it, it doesn't. Yeah. It just doesn't. Is it supposed to be like it's about a man and it's kind of like, but if a man was singing about a woman like this, everyone would be like, that's one of the greatest rock and roll songs I've ever heard. Well, so I like, think that's there kind might of the be a tongue it, yeah. in cheek thing to it because it is really, it sounds really pompous. Well, it's an acronym for my Angus. Uh, nope. Nope. <laughs> my Angus never goes down on me. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think it is kind of supposed to be sort of a parody, but it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't quite nail me. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Let's, it's like uh, a parody like uh that what's that American Carol? That movie is a parody, you know. Like <laughs> um well let's hear a little bit of this, unless anyone else anything else to add. Nah, nah the song's to be for itself. All right, here is man. Like weird glam rock crap. I don't yeah. know. Led Zeppelin light kind of riffing. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Not for Let's me. Just keep keep the wax at that one. I think that kind of sums. I think up that's what, what I sums like. up what's yeah is whack throughout. I don't know. Is there anything you want to highlight, Adrian? No. I mean, even then, like I didn't think that was. I mean, yeah. I, it wasn't my favorite song on the record, but at, you know, like, as we've said, it's less than two minutes. It's nothing, you know. It's no need to get your nose out of joint for this one. You know, these That's couple true. of slow yeah. tracks. You know, we um, can all agree, men are trash. That song, man <laughs> is trash. Man, man is trash. Man Whoa, now, man. hey, man for man, not trash. Man, like the um, they're like a funk band. They're pretty cool. Just check them out. All right. If that's it for wax, what are we gonna rate this bad girl? I had a hard time, man. Because yeah, it, I did too. Because I I was I'm dealing with like three things, right? Like how it holds up now, my own nostalgia for it, and then just the importance of it as a document, uh, as a representation of what the whole blog rock hype machine was at the time. But just musically wise. You know, despite having, I think, two absolute classic songs, or I, I'd say three absolute classic songs, Why Control, uh, Maps, and Modern Romance, I'm going to bump it to, I was leaning 8.5, but, oh. you know, this this was like an important album for me in my youth. So I'll, I'll bump it up. It gets like a 0.3 nostalgia bump. So I'll give it an 8.8, .8. maybe wow. a little high, but. Wow. That's would you uh, give it 8.7? Yeah, let's say 8.7. 8. 8. Okay. I think 8.7 nice. maybe is better. Okay. Yeah. Let's go with 8.7. Works. Here I was born. All right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, go ahead, Aiden. You seem like you're ready to. Well, I was remember. just going to say, I, I'm a little shocked by how high your rating is. No, I didn't expect that. Yeah, but, seriously. <clears throat> but it makes sense. Uh, you see, I think you probably have a. He's a, a modern romantic. <laughs> 
probably have a deep history well, I mean, with this I was deeper history like with this 19 thing. in college like you know it's studying yeah. cartology it hit, it hit right at the right time this. it's hard to divorce myself from that that yeah. pool of nostalgia yeah and although i'm the indie apologist i i can't really go that high on this one i love i like this record quite a bit i think seven point seven point four or whatever it was seven i think seven four is way too low uh i I would put this firmly in like the 8.2 range i think that's where it works for me it's like you know it would probably get a best new music i think if it was it would they did it over again and a little bit higher but I don't know. In terms of it being like an all-time classic, you know, it's I, I, it's part of the canon, but I don't know if it's you know, it's necessarily in the top twenty. Let's say, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think eight point two to me is a, is a fair assessment. Right on. You know, in my own private pitchfork brain, I think they actually got it right. I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't want to be too harsh because there's some stuff that really works that, you know, the the, the singles are great. But then I was like, as a whole, it kind of leaves me a little cold. And so, yeah, it's like a breezy 74 degree day. Some people sound this nice. I like a little hotter. I'm going to give it a 7.4. I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with that. That that just sounds right to me. Yeah. All right. That brings it up to a a 8.1. Which still sounds fairish. Yeah. Pretty good. All right. Cool. Um, whatever happened to this band, they got huge. And then Karen O just became a features artist. Uh, <laughs> she had that soundtrack for um, she is all over other people's where the songs wild things and her are. own songs. And- where the wild things are. A movie did that's she, forgotten. Did she won? Did she did she not win an Oscar? She was nominated. I know she got that. Nominated. Karen did O she and the wins, kids. She won some award or something, probably, but that's just uh, interesting, I guess. It's not bad. Little, it's pretty good. Yeah. A little twee. And then they had, yeah, they had like three huge albums. Um, I think the second album's pretty good. It kind of leans more into like the more ballady, has a little more vulnerability. Mm. I actually like It's Blitz kind of a lot. That's kind of a forgotten album, but I think that one's good. Yeah. It was kind of a return to form in a way, not not in sound, but kind of in um in terms of like attitude, I think. And I don't know. It's uh, yeah, I, I like those two records, but they definitely never really hit the heights of this one in terms of like uh, they were big records, but they were not as big as this one. But very good records for sure. I saw them live once. Oh, nice. They played Maps, their most famous song. Did the crowd go wild? No, because at this point, it's like, I don't know if they like playing it that much. I don't know if people <laughs> like hearing it anymore. It's sort kind of, of the, like perfunct- the creep. Yeah, it was perfunctory. That's cool. All right. But uh, no, they were cool. They were trying. She was wearing cool costume and like she was having fun. Like, I mean, she's a fucking rock star. I like that. Like, if you're going to be a rock yeah. star, be dress up, be all fucking crazy. put on a show. Put on a show. Yeah. Totally. No, I hear you. She's married to a guy named Barnaby. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's a whimsical Barnaby. And the kids. change the name of the song to Mabs. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> I guess that be moops. Classic. Okay. Yeah, right on. Noah, do you have a game? Yes. I well, do. first, should we announce that we're retiring a segment? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I don't know if we um yeah, put it to rest. I think we 
I think we had we that yeah, think, last time, but I don't think, I it was think we visual. had that conversation privately, and then I just kind of unceremoniously took it out of the We're script. Retiring but, the smooth scale yeah, slash smooth gang scale slash life's been good to me scale. It's just not worth. It's, <laughs> it's it's too much time. It's dragging the back end down here. Yeah, we don't need more reasons to. Go yeah, we don't need more bits. We're a pretty bit heavy team here, so um, maybe every once in a while we'll be like, eh, we'll bring something up. It as a formal segment. It's it, bye bye. Yeah. Rest in power. Yeah. Rest in power. Uh, smooth still rips. All right. Let's do a saying. game. I know we got to get you out of here, Caleb. So let's do this game. Um, Are we almost Dune with this episode? <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. I got this game. It's called Name That Power Trio. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As being a famous power trio. And man, doing my research. A lot of my favorite uh, bands are power trios. There's so but many. They good power actually trios. were not a power trio after a time. Well, live. that's how all trios. Dave Paho from Slim the, played live. Yes, them. right. Oh yeah, right. Paho. Papa Papa M. I love a little Paho. Yeah, Paho's great. Yeah, I hope uh, he's doing good. Yeah, yeah. Pray for Paho. Prayers up, Paho. Lake Paho. Okay, here we go. I'll give you a couple facts and uh, chime in whenever you know it. Well, yes, no, the power trios are fucking great. And it, yeah. Okay. I mean, step here we on go. That. The first band, I'll give you three, a uh, couple facts, but just chime in whenever you think you got it. Okay. Formed in Toronto, formed in 1968, three multi platinum albums. In Rush. There you go. Okay, the next one formed in London, 1977. 75 million records sold. Jesus. 75 million. In 1977, they formed? They were punk, supposedly. We've talked about them a surprisingly amount, a surprisingly large amount on, on this podcast in prior episodes. And they were a power trip. Some may say defund them. Oh, the police! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have enough records sold. They can. Yeah. Oh, they. Get, I didn't they get them back would, to other resources. I didn't realize they started as early as '77. I, I, yeah, wow. their okay. first album '78. Damn. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes Here we sense. go. Oh. Formed in Flint, Michigan. Oh, Grand Funk. There you go. 1979, <laughs> the nice. Red Album. Shout out Mark and Brian behind the music. They were featured on it. Yeah, Mark and Brian. <laughs> they are our, our podcast. Um, Heroes. I don't know. Heroes. That's why we. That's why we do the audio arts. Our radio forefathers. Consulter. Yeah. Michael Moore also on that episode. Classic behind the music. Very boring one. Consulter local features. library for more information on Grand <laughs> yeah. Punk Railroad. Yeah. The okay. rattling bass of Mark. Farner. The bong rattling bass of <laughs> Mark, Mark Farner. Farner. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Formed in 1969, Dublin, Ireland. No, nobody. Adrian, you can have this one. Yeah. Tin Lizzy, great. Oh man, one of my favorite I yeah. the one time I went to Dublin, Ireland, not to confuse with Dublin, California. A lot <laughs> of people make that mistake. We went to where the statue was in front of this bar in Temple Bar, which is like the big tourist attraction the there. Phil, the, uh, the Phil Linet statue, and it was gone. They had removed it because it had oh. been defaced, and they oh. had to like take it to like a registrar or whatever to get it like to get it cleaned up refurbished and then it went back like maybe a month or so later oh, bummer. but i did go in the bar that's like a part of the statue and i drank many a black of the you know the black stuff yeah. the pints so you know what they say you two's from ireland then lizzie is ireland oh <laughs> okay here we go nice. here we go formed you two in... famously not a power trio 
here we go. Formed in 1979, St. Paul, Minnesota. Husker oh, du. this is Husker Du. There you go. Their name means Do You Remember in Danish. Okay, that was it. That wasn't so painful, was it, Caleb? No. <laughs> we, we had some time to kill. What are some other power trios we liked, fellas? You got Nirvana. You got Classic. Silver Cream. Chair, you got... Although, fuck Eric Clapton. Yeah, fuck Eric Clapton. Ginger Baker as a goat. Uh, you got <laughs> Ginger high on, Baker. Highly. You got High on Fire. Oh, wait, mm. shit. I got one more. Okay. 1975. Toured for 40 years. Singer died in 2015. 40 years. 1975 we mentioned them kind of already on this podcast kind of mentioned we kind of mentioned a lot Think of, of the things. first thing you said on this podcast caleb besides your stupid little name <laughs> oh. <laughs> the first thing i said welcome 28th album Hawkwind had many more people than three. Oh, motorhead no, no, motorhead yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. i was gonna say I think Hawkwind at one point was like three power trios at once. Yeah. <laughs> Motorhead also like Thin Lizzy, great power trio slash uh, bass frontman. Yep. And Rush. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. That's the father. There, okay. Okay. The the father would be Motorhead. The Holy Spirit would be Thin Lizzy. And the, the son would be Rush, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Also, Sleep. I think you know the band Sleep, great power trio, kind of bass forward. I don't know. That doesn't work with the trilogy thing, but yeah, except Pike's like known as a guitarist is the only thing. Like, but I'm right. saying Al Cisneros is pretty much the heart of that uh, band. That's true. His okay. bass, where he does a lot of the melodies and shit on the bass. So that's very true. He's Primus. kind of the de facto front guy, and he does the same. Oh, Primus. Oh, oh Primus. How can we forget? With, with the bass guy at the front. Turns out there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know if there's another one that we're gonna do on this podcast. Though, Power trios? I indie think rock it goes. might come up. There's not oh, a lot. Hmm. Hmm. There's a yeah. I don't know. Next. Week, you know what? Then? Is are we gonna do another one that has a front person though? I think that is probably more rare for oh, indie we're doing rock the bands. Strokes. Yeah. We're okay. Doing the strokes. <laughs> okay. I was in a power trio. Caleb, take us out. Thanks for not. Thanks homie. for mentioning me. Uh, <laughs> My wife was in a power trio. And then Trey became a power duo with no bass. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the game, Noah. Um, and for next week, we go back to Canada again and we talk about the Unicorns 2003 album, Who Will Cut Your Hair When You're Gone? Nobody better be fucking cutting my hair. Tell you what. Um, yeah. So join us for that. That should be it. That should be a fun episode. That's a fun album, right? Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Thank you all for listening as always. Thank you to Kiki for a uh, awesome theme song. Thank you, Adrian, for all your production work. Thank you, Noah, for keeping this train moving. Everyone listening to this, I want you to go to your computer and type in uh, HTTPS slash slash wacker slaps.com and uh, go to our website. Check that out. Uh, follow us on wacker slaps on uh, Instagram, uh, on Twitter. You know, we're friends with the bug now. You can, that's, that's Flo your man. You can talk to Kevin out. Martin, the bug and Flo Dan. If anything, you can, you know, converse with them. Yeah. Give us some uh, likes and reviews. Tell your friends, you know, good. We're getting some traction. Let's keep this, let's keep this train rolling. 
Um, yeah, thanks for joining us as always. And for Noah and Adrian, I am Caleb. This has been Whack or Slaps. And as always, what made Milwaukee famous? Hit the music. Bye. <laughs>